0: You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Thank you for joining us for the April edition of the Crestone Eagle. My name is Paula Vaughn. We're going to start with a letter to the editor written by Daniel S. Johnson, SOF2DIVS. It's entitled, Firewise Response to March Article. An opinion piece by David Bright entitled, BACA Fire Mitigation, was placed on the front page of the March Eagle as if it was news from the firefighters familiar with this work. It was actually written by a member of the Friends of the BACA Greenbelts and contains much innuendo and misinformation. It heralds the beginning of efforts to reduce wildfire risk, and that's a good thing, although it really started over three decades ago. The March article claims that Mr. Cleve Stewart, an expert in fish recovery who admits he has no fire experience, is trying to infuse science and community values into the process. For 30 years, we've been educating the community and POA board members in basic and evolving fire sciences. The county commissioners who oversee the Sawatch County Firewise Program have reported receiving the most positive feedback of any program they have ever sponsored. I have been running this program for the past 14 years and implemented my nearly 50 years of wildlife experience into reducing the dangers of mass destruction from fire increased by climate change. The FireWise program gives homes a vastly improved chance of surviving major wildfires by guiding fire to the ground as it passes structures, but we have always aimed at saving some of the common Greenbelt property as well. The massive old-growth ponderosas and ancient pinions were here when the Utes and other tribes hunted and burned low-intensity surface fires to clean up the deadfall and reduce the juniper invasion that is presently threatening the indigenous narrow-leaf cottonwood stands. Contrary to the article, we do not prioritize removal of, quote, large trees within 30 feet of a building, end quote. Anyone who has worked with us, or even inquired about our techniques, knows that we do everything we can to protect mature trees. Even when they are adjacent to homes, we try to isolate them from brush and ladder fuels in the ignition zone, which would almost certainly light them. Old growth trees are sacred to us in the sense that they are hundreds of years old, and they determine the health of the forest in the present and future. The original BACA FireWise committee was a complete failure and never even invited FireWise personnel to their meetings. Committees were added to the program to help mitigation teams teach residents about the danger they face living in the wildland-urban interface and they have no control over the experts doing the scientific work. The committee now being formed will help to keep FireWise community recognition, which can help bring in further funding. Organize firewood har- harvests to the community and public meetings to keep homeowners informed of the efforts to reduce damage to homes and common areas. District Forester Adam Moore is touted in the article as the official quote, who oversees implementation of mitigation activities in the Baca. End quote. Adam is a very learned man and does oversee one grant that has allowed the Greenbelt efforts. But my FireWise program is sponsored by the Swatch County Commissioners. I report monthly to the County Administrator and the Office of Emergency Management. Adam has continuously advised the Greenbelt team to take the more to take more crowded trees and branch material because it takes concerted effort to mimic the natural spacing of trees and brush models that would have been kept in balance by low-level surface fires and buffalo herds rubbing off the lower limbs that presently allow fires to climb into canopies. Mr. Bright claims that most hikers would have preferred less fuels removed removed in Greenbelts and representatives of various spiritual centers have complained about the change of special energy in treated areas. Nearly every time we work in the Baca, folks who live adjacent to Greenbelts thank us for making the trails safer by removing standing and leaning snags and reducing the intensity of fire near their homes. Numerous meditation and retreat centers are working with us to increase the survivability of their structures and to obtain or keep insurance. Many folks who have moved here recently don't seem to realize that a wildfire could reduce overgrown green belts to charcoal, with mud and ash flows replacing the creeks in a matter of hours. The greenbelt teams are already trying to keep the wild look and beauty intact and they continue learning how this is accomplished, which is different in each common. The areas treated will become healthier by reducing the competition for water, nutrients, and sunlight. Within a few years, more animals will forage in these areas where there will be better grazing, and they can actually run when being able to see predators. A fact-based public meeting about home preparedness is being organized by Bobby Wolves of the Office of Emergency Management in which he will join Adam Moore, BACA Fire Chief Vanderpool, Crestone Fire Chief Tomaski, Sheriff Warwick, and myself as presenters. It is scheduled for April 27th at the POA Hall at 5 p.m. If anyone wishes to comment about wildfire mitigation in the BACA, please feel invited to ask us directly. Due to overwhelming demand, Firewise funding for this year is running low, so anyone wanting a free assessment for their home should get on the waiting list by texting me or calling 719-480-9764. And we have a Crestone Eagle Editor's Note. The March article referenced here was placed on the front page because of the high level of public interest in the subject and because the dramatic eye-catching photo would draw attention to this very important issue. We are happy to include Daniel Johnson's response. And now turning to an article written by Amelia Stern. Confusion lingers over town water and sewer rates. In 2020, Crestone residents voted to increase the town's retail sales tax rate from 3 to 3.5% to support operating costs for its water and sewer systems. That sales tax provided approximately 50% of fund revenue, according to a public notice released by the town in 2022, causing the Water and Sewer Fund to lose its enterprise status in accordance with the State of Colorado's Taxpayer Bill of Rights, TABOR, amendment. A result unforeseen when the sales tax was proposed. Enterprise status is desirable because it allows the town to access a greater variety of funding resources for capital improvements, says interim town administrator Scott Arisman. Specifically, large federal grants and long term low water sorry, and long term low interest loans. Without its enterprise status, the Water and Sewer Fund wouldn't be able to keep up with the needs of Crestone's growing community, including the building of additional water storage tanks and wells. In an effort to restore enterprise status, a resolution was placed on a subsequent ballot and passed by voters in 2022. This resolution reallocated the additional 0.5% tax revenue to a capital projects fund, earmarked for water and sewer system improvements. The difference is... That by setting aside those funds for improvements rather than operating expenses, the Water and Sewer Fund would regain enterprise status as long as revenues could be generated to cover operations, says Aronspin. But neither the water or sewer system can be subsidized by sales tax. Instead, these systems must rely on funding solely from those who are using it. This is by no means unusual and is certainly more sustainable, says Erisman. However, it does mean that an increase in water and sewer rates is necessary to continue supporting the system. The town agreed to a slight increase in water and sewer rates for this purpose, but misinformation continues to circulate partly due to a letter written by former interim town manager Leslie Klusmeyer on June 11th. 13th, 2022, urging Mayor Danforth and the Board of Trustees to pass more drastic measures. While the water fund currently covers operational costs, it cannot maintain prudent reserves or fund future capital improvement and replacement costs with its current low user fees, Klusmeyer wrote. The town is the only municipal in- entity in that I know that does not require customers to tap into mains if they are available or pay an availability fee, she continued. According to the letter, the reason why municipalities and water districts require mandatory taps or an availability fee for those who don't tap is that the town is paying the cost of operating its treatment and distribution and collection system, distribution being water and collection being sewer. If you allow customers not to pay for the infrastructure you've developed to serve them, you have to charge the tapped-in customers more money, and they shoulder a proportionately larger share of those costs, she wrote. As the owner of two empty lots, resident Warren Stephen would have had to pay thousands of dollars a year if the town adopted an availability fee. If the water and sewer line ran past your property, you would have to pay for it, even if you didn't have a house on the property, he says. To me, it was just craziness, and every resident I talked to was upset about it. As co-owner of the Crestone Mercantile, Elaine Johnson was equally concerned. I own the two biggest businesses in Crestone, but live outside the town. This decision affects us, but we technically don't have a right to vote on it. Given residents' concern, the proposal was never passed, but misinformation continues to circulate. People were told things were going to happen that didn't end up happening, says Johnson. It was really unfortunate, because that caused a division in town when when, at the end of the day, none of it came to fruition. As the 2023 budget for water and sewer continues to get revised, Erisman is pushing for maximum transparency, to address the division in the community, which includes a simplified budget that allows residents to better understand why decisions are made. People think of us as a big bureaucratic machine when really we're all just neighbors, says Erisman. One of the first things I did as town administrator was to open the town hall office. I encourage everyone to come in and talk to me if they have questions, he says. We have to respect each other. We have to see what needs to be done and figure out how to do that together, says Johnson. If any place can do it, this place can, he said. And now we have an article written by Sandia Belgrade, Commissioner Liza Marone's Thoughts on Nuisance Ordinance. I interviewed Marone because she has been... "'Instrumental in developing a positive approach to the proposed nuisance ordinance, "'which has become a source of controversy. "'A second hearing on the ordinance will not have taken place by the time this paper goes to press, "'so, according to Marone, everything is still in process. "'Previous attempts to clean up blight and unsanitary conditions "'that affect the health and safety of residents have failed. "'A county cor- code or standard is needed. "'Residents, however, are wary of the ordinance and how it will be enforced.' and with good reason sorry and with good reason the warnings that the county put out were harsh and the county's approach rigid it offered no constructive help to residents some have difficulty complying for many reasons including lack of funds so what is the difference this time around Mar- maron ex- representing district 3 made it clear from the start that she did not want the measure to be punitive the Land Use Department is issuing kinder, gentler notices. In areas where people are trying to clean up, the County Road and Bridge Department will place dump trucks to help with cleanup. An individual resident offered his pickup to help folks clean up as well. Maron suggested that perhaps a transfer station could help. She said the county might also reach out to groups such as the SLV Housing Coalition and the Adelante program to help residents comply. The ordinance is needed for those landowners who absolutely have no interest in cleaning up, including absentee owners. Even those who are found to be negligent and are fined for a violation will be given a packet of helpful information and resources. The county is having a second public hearing in April so that residents can make comments and offer alternative ideas to the commissioners. Code enforcement officers reported many abandoned properties, one of the reasons that letters with notice of noncompliance often come back unopened. Quite a few residents have no permits for either building or septic. Some don't live on site, and some are weekenders. Officers noted, however, that more people are trying to work with them, and they are seeing progress. A positive approach apparently is making a difference. Mobile Home Estates, incidentally, is the official name for Casita Park, and we have this news from the town of Swatch. Town of Swatch earns local preservation grant from History Colorado. The town of Swatch was one of seven Colorado locations to earn grants through History Colorado's Certified Local Government (CLG) program, which has awarded one hundred fifty-seven thousand three hundred twenty dollars for historic preservation projects by county and municipal governments. The projects funded by this round of grants include preservation planning, surveys, and education and outreach activities. The seven projects funded in this grant round will begin in the summer of 2023 and wrap up by December 31, 2024. SWATCH was awarded $23,432 to fund workshops covering basic adobe construction concepts with hands-on, all-ages, activities, and technical adobe building maintenance and preservation practices. These workshops will be conducted by a contractor who specializes in maintaining the cultural heritage of adobe construction throughout the Southwest. Civic entities, private owners, and community members will learn the basic concepts and advanced technical in- issues of adobe architecture. The grant will fund an all-ages community engagement opportunity where the residents of Swatch can learn the process of making adobe bricks and the history of the construction method. Adobe buildings are a common architectural style in Swatch for both commercial and residential uses, and this workshop presents a chance to promote the historical significance of these buildings and help preserve them. It has been a struggle in this area to hold on to the practices and knowledge required to keep these structures in good repair, says Adrian Garbini, chair of Swatch's Historic Preservation Commission. We want to provide support and education for our people and our government entities to care for adobes as well as to expand community engagement in our built environment and historic preservation resources, he said, to remove barriers to participation and increase the impact of this educational opportunity, the town of Swatch intends to provide travel reimbursement for workshop participants and document the process to create educational materials that can be provided throughout the San Luis Valley to help preserve adobe architecture in the region. Garbini hopes this will help preserve the built environment that is deeply connected to the Hispano culture of the San Luis Valley and directly address a pressing issue of cultural loss being experienced by the Swatch community. The CLG program is part of the State Historic Preservation Office and is one of the many ways that History Colorado invests in the prosperity of rural communities and preserves the rich history of the centennial state. Currently, 68 of Colorado's 127 local governments have been certified by the State Historic Preservation Office and the National Park Service as CLGs. This distinction makes them eligible for grants and shows they participate in the National Preservation Program while maintaining standards consistent with federal archaeology and historic preservation requirements. For more information on History Colorado, visit the website HistoryColorado.org. Turning to art news, Crestone Artisans Gallery, artist Rose Burick. Creates Art from Scrap. This is written by Joni Franks. With the arrival of spring and the springtime winds in the San Luis Valley, it seemed like the perfect time to interview gallery artist Rose Burek and learn more about her handcrafted wind chimes. Rose was inspired to begin creating art with rustic metal objects in 2006. Her journey began when she enrolled in an adult welding class at a local high school in Ignacio, Colorado, taught by a high school welding teacher. Her teacher encouraged her to bring in her own metal to get started, so Rose found an old muffler at a Subaru dealership to bring to class, welding her first sculpture, which she still has. This experience began her quest to gather materials from scrap metal yards. As her collection of scrap metal grew, Rose came up with the idea of adding beads and brass bells from India to her scrap metal to create one-of-a-kind wind chimes. Rose continues to visit scrapyards and will often come home with 400 to 500 pounds of metal. She especially likes to use farm implements, particularly plow discs, in her creations. In addition, she uses engine parts and industrial parts. For her beads, she uses only glass, gemstones, and minerals. For the past decade, Rose has sculpted about one wind chime per week, more than 600 wind chimes total, which are sold at the Crestone Artisans Gallery, as well as Rabbit Brush Gallery in Lyons, and Aspen and Evergreen Gallery in Estes Park. At her home, she has a rather large sculpture garden called the Garden of Gratitude. Living in Crestone and looking out at the 14,000-foot peaks gives Rose the inspiration and motivation to keep creating her wind art and expanding her Garden of Gratitude. Stop by the gallery to view Rose's wind chimes as well as our other artist collections that include paintings, pottery, jewelry, sculptures, writing journals, greeting cards, and international award-winning books. Celebrate Earth Day with our next gallery event, Taco About the Earth, set for Saturday, April 22nd, from 4 to 6 p.m. There will be live music, drinks, and appetizers, as well as a drawing for one of Rose's fabulous wind chimes. The Crestone Artisans Gallery is open Wednesday through Monday from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. during the month of April. Turning to Charter School news. New and returning enrollment at Crestone Charter School. This is written by Thomas Cleary, the director. New and returning enrollment at CSS. The season is upon us to start planning for next school year. Families can think about the best educational fit for their children, and community members can think about the role CCS plays in our larger context. The complete Crestone Charter School enrollment policy is available online, but is summarized here. Students who currently attend CCS will receive a re-enrollment form in the first week of April, which must be returned to the school by May 5th. To continue their enrollment. New families or students interested in joining CCS should visit the school, meet the director, and complete a pre-enrollment form by 8 a.m. May 10th. On May 11th, new students will be placed in classrooms based on space avi- availability with a target of 8 students per grade. A classroom with 2 grades has a cap of 16 and a class with 4 grades, such as Link hs caps at 32. If the number of new and returning students exceeds the cap, a ranked lottery system will be utilized. The ranked lottery will group potential new students based on criteria, and those groups of students are enrolled first. For example, returning students are placed in classrooms first, then siblings of enrolled students, followed by in-district students, etc. At some point in the process, the number of students in a group may exceed the number of available spaces in a classroom. We then use a lottery to determine who will be enrolled and to order the remaining enrollees on the wait list, including those in subsequent groups. Then, if a child disenrolls, we call through the wait list. The complete process is outlined on our website. In the 2021-22 and 22 23 school years, waitlists were nearly non-existent, and most students who want to come to CCS are able to do so immediately. If you are on the waitlist, please keep in contact with CCS to let us know of your continued interest and contact information so that when we reach out with an opening, you will receive the notification and can get back to us. Similarly, students can enroll throughout the year and join whenever space is available. Educators also know that student learning and growth are directly tied to consistency, and we encourage transitions to take place between school years. Now is the time to think about next school year. And now turning to happenings and the calendar, Casita Park Cleanup, Saturday, April 22nd, beginning 8 a.m. Meet at the playground to gather and clean up the neighborhood, with a dedication held at noon, followed by a potluck picnic and seed planting. On Wednesday, April 19th, the BGWSD March 15th, or don't know why they said March 15th, but the BGWSD board meeting will happen at 9 a.m. It's available on Zoom. Check the website, bakawater.org. On Saturday, April 22nd, CEOLP volunteer training from 2 to 4 p.m. at Little Shepherd Church. On Sunday, April 30th, Sufi Deeker, all welcome. To participate in person or over Zoom, email hamidanur303 at gmail.com. That's hamidanur 3 at gmail.com or call 719-588-8602. This event takes place from 3 to 5 p.m. on Sunday, April 30th. And we have this note from the Crestone Eagle. Join the Eagle team. Get involved and make a difference with your nonprofit community newspaper. Board of directors, editorial, sales, and community outreach positions are available full or part time. Send inquiries via email to crestoneaglecm at gmail.com. Join the team. And that's all we have time for today. Thank you for joining us for the Crestone Eagle.